Welcome. We are in the middle of a series called This Is Our Story. Today, we're going to dive a little bit further into our text. And would you please join me as I pray? Father God, we bless you and worship you for this time together. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you through the study of your word. Jesus, we ask right now that through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we would be drawn close to you and we would encounter your love and your truth and your comfort and your healing um, through your story. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week was our second installment in the This Is Our Story. The first week, Kevin sort of uh, crafted why story and narrative is important and how it shapes our lives. And then last week, he and I joint preached together on a message called In the Image. We talked about how when God started creating, God simply spoke and that God created us in God's image and it was good. It was very good. In the middle of all that, God formed, God filled. God breathed, um, and God hovered over chaos, and out of chaos and darkness, God brought order and light, and has called us to do those same things. Um, And then we talked about sort of how that garden setting was exactly as it was supposed to be, with our little Lego characters here, Um, that God speaks of a beautiful garden that God tends and God invites us to tend. And in these moments, everything is as it should be. It is harmonious. There is shalom. There is um, harmony with us and with God. It says that God can walk in the cool of the evening in the garden. Um, There's harmony between us and creation. Everyone's a vegetarian still. There's no, been no slaughter of meat. There's been no, um, no difficulties on is that ethically sourced. All of that's still quite right with the world. We haven't yet warmed our oceans and toasted our planet um, and lost Great Barrier Reefs. Everything, um, if you believe that sort of thing, um, everything is as it should be. And it is also all as it should be between um, male, female. When God creates, God creates in God's image. Um, and the word there as God creates humanity is simply Adam, um, which we have translated Adam, but initially it's just, it just sort of means humanity. It's from Adamat, it's from the earth. And as God creates humanity, um, he sees then that it's not good for Adam to be by Adam's self. So then God speaks, God creates, he puts Adam to sleep and he pulls out um, a rib and creates woman. And it's not until that moment that as Adam looks at woman, in Hebrew the word is isha, Isha, um, that at that moment when he sees Isha, he recognizes then for the very first time in our text that he is an Ish, a man. But that word Ish doesn't occur until she's first made. And as God has created now uh, this additional reflection, male, female, of, of God's creation, there's a couple, cre- there's two creation narratives and they kind of get smushed together in our first few chapters. As God does that, God says that that he is going to create for Adam an Ezer Kenegdo. An, an Ezer is a help. It's most often used for the word help for God in the Bible. Like, where is my help? My help comes from God, the maker of heavens, creator of heaven and earth. And Kenegdo is equal to, opposite facing the Adam. So when God creates male, female, in this section, everything is beautiful. It is all as it should be. There isn't a hierarchy. There's not patriarchy. Uh, None of that has gone south. All of it is exactly as God created it. 
and then. Uh, we have the sneaky snake, and then we have instantly, as, as gar, our story continues, our story tries to contend with the fact that when we look in our world today, we don't see the garden. We don't see this, right? When we look at our world today, we see strife between humans. We see chaos in our creation. Um, we see abuse we see pain and suffering. We see the created world. We see tectonic plates shifting and moving and causing earthquakes and suffering and shifts, seismic shifts and tsunamis. And we see earthquakes. We see all of these things. And so the ancients, our forefathers, saw these things too. They saw that the world was not as it should be. And to try to understand why things had gone bad, we have this story. This story that everything was right, it was all set as it should be, and then we ate the fruit that we were told not to eat. And Adam and Eve immediately are saying, uh-oh, right? And, and God's starting to walk in the cool of the evening, and he hides. They're hiding because they have sinned. They have disobeyed. There is now shame and fear and isolation, and all of the things, the harmony that was supposed to be found, the shalom, the peace that was supposed to be found between us and God, between us and the creation, between one another, all of that's been gone. It's lost. And last week when we talked about the image of God being created in the image of God, we talked about how sometimes that image gets distorted. And that's that fun house mirror experience. And this is what we call in the Bible sin, right? This is the, the missing of the mark. We've sinned. We have not now fully exemplified the image of God in this world. In our story and in our theology, we call this the fall. This is the point in time when we look at our narrative, we said everything was right, and then the fall. Dun, 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 right? And now this is how we're going to explain what has gone wrong and, and what we need to do about it. So today's message is entitled, After the Fall. I, I think a lot of times what we talked about last week is we, we tend to find ourselves identified either by our, mostly by our sin nature, right? Like I have messed up and we're always sort of still living in the fall. We still keep living in the fact that we sin, that we have done these terrible things, that things have been broken and hurt and bad. And what we were trying to show you last week is that yes, and our story starts with you are good and you are made in the image of God and this is not how God intended it and God has not made in you and me junk. God has created us, all of us, in God's very image. But what do we do now? Well, right after this event, as we push through into our text, Adam and Eve are, are cursed, or they're not quite cursed. There's consequences. The ground is cursed. There's, there's difficulties that the connection that they had has been broken, and now she's going to, her desire will be for him, but he's going to rule over her, and, and the ground is going to give them difficulty, and work's going to be hard, and she's going to have difficulty in labor, and it's all just bad. And so they're, and they've been kicked out of this shalom, this harmonious place, and they have kids, and immediately, very quickly, one kid kills another. So these two sons, Cain and Abel, right in the middle, here's our fall, and then right immediately afterwards, we have one son killing, trying to wipe off the face of the earth, the image of God in the other son. 
You are made in the image of God, Abel. God is pleased with your offering. I'm going to wipe that image off the face of the earth. And so right away after the fall, we have immediately all of this pain and suffering. We have the first murder from, then point on, from that point on, every murder understood as a fratricide, as a brother against a brother. Every time we take a life, trying to wipe that image of God off the face of the earth. By chapter 6, humanity is so down south that God has now wept, that God has even created the earth, at all, the humanity at all. He's weeping over this creation. People are so wicked that God then sends a flood, a catastrophic flood, where all of the creatures and, create, and people from miles and miles, as far as the eye could see, whether it's the whole earth or just it seemed like the whole earth, you can all debate that. Um, at that point then, God has decided This all needs to go away. And when we see this massive covering of the entire earth, how the ancients understood their worldview with the waters above and the waters below, and then just seeing that from Sheol and those waters covering the whole of the earth again, and this zone here where this ancient Near Eastern narrative comes from, that this fertile crescent would just flood. And you can't For those of you who've been in a natural disaster or just even watched one on the news, try to think about how it would feel. Uh, You know, my hometown just went through a natural disaster of the firestorms. And uh, and my friend's, um, my childhood friend's brother, he was a couple years older than us and I had had a crush on him. He is now um, the fire captain, not anymore, everything's kosher, Uh, fire captain, uh, probably has no idea who I am, to be honest, um, of Santa Rosa. And he just wrote yesterday the story of this firestorm coming through and how quickly it moved and how patrol cars were taken up in flames, like the the officers are driving and seeing the flames leap up into their car and having to jump out and go. Now, if you asked me, if I had been in that situation, I would say the whole earth was on fire because there was no place to go. Like as far as the eye could see, everything on fire. So as we think about how the ancients are processing this this flood narrative and this catastrophic disaster and this disharmony with one another, with God, with creation, as everything's fighting and all of that, they believe now that all of the waters of the earth, the waters are now covering over the land. And this should call us back immediately to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and dark and the waters covered over it and God hovered over those waters. Within just six chapters of our narrative, we are back to where we started. Right back to Genesis 1. Immediately, the earth covered with the water again, and God is, in our mind and in the minds of those people surviving those floods, they have to think this is the worst thing that has ever happened to us in our entire lives. This flood is catastrophic. It's horrifying. The loss of life, the loss of creation has just been gone, and yet the Bible is going to encourage us to see this chaos as a second chance. Because right after this, then God is going to say, okay, Let's start again. And gives then Noah and Noah's family the same command that he gave Adam and Eve 
be fruitful and multiply. It's the same words. Within six chapters, we've gotten our second chance. And what I would like to encourage us to embrace today, that as we look at the fall and we try to wrap our minds about how do we live after the fall, I want to first suggest that there's, I think that there's a multitude of falls and the fall and the fall and the fall. And I want to encourage us to know that our God in our narrative gives us a gajillion second chances. Right after all of this has happened, we're pushed right into second chance. If you felt like God was wrathful and vengeful in all of this chaos, I want to encourage you that within six chapters of us disobeying, causing the the world and all of this to fall out of disunity with God, causing disunity and pain and hurt and suffering within the family unit, the one son kills the other son, God has wept for the fact that all of humanity is so deeply wicked, what shall I do? I know, we'll give him another chance. We'll start again. And this mercy starts right away, because if I had seen my one kid kill the other one kid, Right? This, is, this is a problem immediately. But instead, when God goes and talks to Cain about this, Cain is able to say to God, hey, that punishment is too hard for me. Can you give me an easier one? And God's like, okay. So we've gotten just straight away to murder, and we've moved all the way already to God will make it easier on you, Cain. And Cain, this concept of sin and and shame and suffering, if I had just killed my brother, I don't know that I could face God and say, I don't deserve this punishment, make it easier on me. But Cain does. This is what we call chutzpah. And he has this conversation with God, and in God's mercy and God's loving kindness, God grants Cain's request. Now, there's still consequence. But God sticks with Cain, even though Cain does not deserve that. And it's actually from this passage that we get that concept that is pushed by Jesus in Matthew 18. You know, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus, no, no, 70 times seven. More and more and more. Please continue to forgive your brother. And this idea that we can get a second chance, that through the very waters of the chaos and of the destruction, that God will bring birth and new life again and again, that God will continue to walk with us, the Bible is full of these second chances. After God pulls Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, God pulls them through the waters again. Through those waters of the Sea of Reeds, God brings his people out, births them again. And then after they wander in the wilderness because of disobedience, God gives them another rebirth into the land. You are born again into this new new space. And even as our famous water story with Jonah and the big fish, he prays from the belly of that fish, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah, deep down into those 
chaotic flood waters where he's surrounded by water still senses God's presence and God giving him another second chance. And this is the character of God. The character of God is not tied up in our worst moment. The character of God is pushing forward into another redemptive act and another one and another one and another one. There is nothing that we are doing that is causing God to walk away from us and from his promises. The Bible is full of this. Exodus 34, this, com- this compassionate God, as the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is the God that we are encountering. So when God sees what we call that fall in Genesis, God starts to move immediately to forgiveness, to a redemption, to a restoration. This I call to mind and therefore have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It doesn't say for those who have it all together, for those who've never messed it up, for those who um, can can live without hypocrisy in this world, who've never fallen so so far, so short, that they don't feel like there's anyone here in this room ever felt like the fall that you just had, that you just made, that choice and that decision that you had is so far removed from God's reach and from God's hand. I have felt that way. And I remember my poor theology in my life of believing that I had sinned so greatly, because, you know, when you're in high school, you think, that you have this kind of power, right, to sin so bad that God can't forgive you, Um, that I had sinned so greatly that I needed to change my calling. Like, I had felt called to be a pastor since I was 13 years old. But when I was in high school, I made decisions that I wasn't super proud of, and I was like, well, that's it. All right, I'm not qualified anymore to be a preacher and leader of God's people because I've made stupid mistakes that everybody pretty much makes in high school, so I guess I'll be a lawyer, which I'm not. It's not a... um, that's not a condemnation on attorneys in any way. It's just what I was my other option. Um, and so I decided to make a, a bad situation worse by compounding that and then having to leave, you know, my, um, my pre-law uh, focus because I knew I was supposed to be in the church, which called my parents to have to have an intervention with me um, in Los Angeles uh, so that I could try to go back to law school instead of be a pastor preacher. I could have saved us all a lot of time and money if I had just realized that there was nothing that I could do that could push me out of God's love and redemptive reach. That after the fall, there's hope. That after the fall, there's always a way back in. That after the fall, there's always a chance One more chance, another second chance, a gajillion of them. Who is is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of this remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You and I, we have a God. This is our story, guys. We have a God that delights to show mercy. Just can't wait. Can't wait to show mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the ironic thing is I grew up in a church where I said those words every single Sunday. We had a confession of sin every Sunday. 
And it was beautiful and wonderful, and I loved it because I knew I had messed up, right? And so I could, like, try to enumerate the things that I thought that I had done, and then I had this, like, one little, like, and anything else that I forgot, right? Jesus just, like, cover all of that. I believed that God did that, and yet still somehow, right? I needed somebody to grab me by the shoulders and shake me and say, your theology in practice, Danielle, and what you really believe God will do for you is not settled into your heart, that you still are walking this road in a way, maybe it was a bit, anybody ever feel like your parents love you, but they'll love you more if, right? You get straight A's or, or you do that right thing. I, that's not, my parents are wonderful and amazing, but I, I just knew, I at least felt like they loved me more when I did these things. And I had transferred all of that to God, unknowingly. So even though I took that confession every week, even though I could grab hold of the reality of the fall and the grab hold in the true resurrection of Jesus, the fullness of that forgiveness, and I could lean into that, I still couldn't get it into practice. So dear ones today, you know what I want to do? I want to grab each one of you by the shoulders and shake you a little bit and let you know that whatever it is that you have done in this world, whatever you did today, whatever you're hiding in that deep, dark, Sheol place. God is with you there, and God loves you, and God is bringing you home. And he'll do it again tomorrow. The Bible is full of this over and over and over again, whether it's Moses throwing down the tablets and, and breaking them, or, or God going with God's people into exile, or God, you know, bringing the people to Sinai and seeing all of, all of the beauty of that, whether it's Hosea and Gomer and that picture, whether it's exile, return, whether it's the entire book of Judges, which is a story again of like people do it wrong, then they get in trouble, then they cry out to God, so then God rescues them, and then they like have two days of obedience, and then they do it wrong, and then they get into trouble, and then they cry out to God, and God rescues them. And the whole book is God running after God's people, even when... We continue to make those same mistakes. What I want to tell my daughters, I want them to know that they have a God that runs after them. I want you all to know that God runs to you, runs down the road and grabs hold of you and begs, come home, come home. And as we then live in all of this, is our identity formed by our worst act? Do we walk around as a people, as a church, who say, well, we've all sinned and fallen? That's true. But is that where you get your identity from? Or is our identity formed by God's love for us? God's calling us very good. Looking at each one of you and saying, very good. You are very good. I have created you very good in my image as light bearers, as people who are created to love, to hope, to bring that life. So what do we do after the fall? We dive into our creator's steadfast love, embrace redemption and resurrection. You know what we do after the fall? We get in the water because that's what God did for the earth. The fall happens, things are crazy, wickedness has happened, and God submerges the earth once again so it can be reborn once again. And Peter says this, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism. Baptism. 
that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Peter looked at the flood event and was like, oh yes, sure, because that's when God baptized the earth. And if you start to think about it, it makes sense because there's water, there's submersion, there's God hovering, there's a a dove. And Peter continues and says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what do you do after the fall? You let God hover. You get in the water and you let God hover over you. You go down to the river. You beg God again and again, God, thank you for washing away all the sins. You let the water rush over you. You let the flood come and you let it pull you back up again into new life. And God hovers over all of those second chances, all of that opportunity to be reborn. You know what you do after the fall, after you get in the water and after you let God hover over you, you get back up again. And you go again because your creator God loves you and has called you to this good work. Get back up again. The waters are so good and they wash away all the things we've done and we get an opportunity once again for new life. All of us are invited into this. And if you've not yet been baptized and you haven't been able to make it to the River Jordan with us, no problem. We have friends here who have a swimming pool that they will heat up. And we can baptize you here. If you've not gotten into the water and you want to get into the water, get into the water. It feels so good. So I want to tell my little ones, God is here and present with you. And there is life to be had. New life, nothing you can do can push you far out of this reach. Nothing you can do prevents you from getting in these waters that God wants to wash over you again and again and again because of the mercy and the love and the hope that is available to all of us through the person of Jesus. So I was thinking about this message this week, and I read a review of a children's book that then I went and purchased called After the Fall. And it is about Humpty Dumpty. And um, I am going to read it to you because it's good theology we've got right going on in here. All right. After the fall, how Humpty Dumpty got back up again, a story by Dan Santat. My name is Humpty Dumpty. This was my favorite spot high up on the wall. I know it's an odd place for an egg to be but I loved being close to the birds. Then one day I fell. I'm sort of famous for that part. Folks called it the Great Fall, which sounds a little grand. It was just an accident, but it changed my life. Fortunately, all the king's men managed to put me back together. Well, most of me. There were some parts that couldn't be healed with bandages and glue. After that day, I became afraid of heights. I was so scared that it kept me from enjoying some of my favorite things. I walked past the wall every day, and I would think about climbing that ladder again. I really missed the birds and being high above the city, but I could never do it because I knew that accidents can happen. I eventually settled for watching the birds from the ground. It wasn't the same, but it was better than nothing. And then one day, an idea flew by. Making planes was harder than I thought. It was easy to get cuts and scratches. But day after day, I kept trying and trying. 
until I got it just right. My plane was perfect, and it flew like nothing could stop it. I felt, hadn't felt that happy in a long time. It wasn't the same as being up in the sky with the birds, but it was close enough. Unfortunately, accidents happen. They always do. I almost walked away again, but then I thought about all the time I'd spent working on my plane and all the other things I'd missed. I decided I was going to climb that wall. But the higher I got, the more nervous I felt. I didn't want to admit it. I was terrified. I didn't look up. I didn't look down. I just kept climbing one step at a time until I was no longer afraid. Maybe now you won't think of me as that egg who was famous for falling. Hopefully, you'll remember me as the egg who got back up. And learned how to fly. And the back cover says, life begins when you get back up. And I love this story because I think so many of us fall so quickly into that primary identity of this bad thing happened to me. Or I did this bad thing. Or I had to survive this chaotic, crazy event. And I don't know if there's life now, or I don't know if there's redemption now, or I don't know if I can come back from this. And this story fits right into our grand narrative of the entire scriptures, which is that there's always a chance to come back. Because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This is our story. This is our story. We are all, every single one of us, participating already in our gazillionth second chance. And we can embrace that. There is no perfection here in the Christian walk. There is no hope for perfection other than in the person of Jesus. We simply will keep getting back up again because the waters run. Because we are all invited to be a part of this new order, this new creation, this good work that we've been called to do. Created in the image of God. Yes, there's a fall. And now we're going to get back up again and be the people of the God of second chances. Amen.